Grab your popcorn and snacks. Find a comfy spot, take a seat or lie down, and let me transport you to a place of fantasy, ghost stories, ancient legends, odd creatures, alien encounters, and other magical topics. You may even decide to join the conversation. From faraway lands to your own backyard, with a small dash of pixie dust, turn out the lights and open your minds. The journey is about to begin. Hey, welcome, welcome, welcome. Another day of ghost, ghost, ghosts. Let me get this started here. I have multiple buttons to push when this happens, when we get started. Anyway, I want to welcome everybody. It's a great night for ghost stories. And we're going to have some interesting ones from, look at this. I don't, you know, I told you I'm, I'm, I've got those kind of issues. Anyway, OCD for all those. Anyway, uh, it's going to be a great night for ghost stories. And we're going to have some ghost stories from the islands of Hawaii. Uh, Jason had some technical issues with software, so we're going to be doing it by phone. So as soon as I get done yakking here, we can uh, call him and get him on the phone and we can talk about Hawaiian ghosties. Welcome, everybody. My name is Charlotte. I'll be your host for the next hour or so. This is the California Haunts Paranormal Investigation Team. You can find our regular website at www.californiahaunts.org. And our radio website is www.californiahauntsradio.com. Welcome. Um, this is the second night of Ghost, Ghost, Ghost. Tomorrow's our third night. Tomorrow night, I'm going to be taking you on my own journey. Uh, some investigations that this team has done here uh, in the area. I'm not saying locally, but in the area. And uh, I'll have some EVPs for you to listen to and some evidence for you to see and get your opinion on all that good stuff. But anyway, um, I want to get Jason on the line here so we can get going, okay? So bear with me for one second. Tell everybody about yourself, sir. Okay, all right, so we're live. Yep. Okay, so um, my name is Jason Kili Nohukula Lindo. Um, my friends call me Jason or Chili. And I was born and raised in Honolulu uh, on the island of Oahu. Um, so we would say in Hawaiian, Wahana au ma Honolulu, ma so I was um, born in Honolulu in the land division of Waikiki, and I was born in the central part of the valley of Manoa. Um, so that's that's where I and my parents are from. Um, originally, my dad's family were Portuguese immigrants to Maui, and my mom's family, her mother was Portuguese also from Maui. Her dad was Hawaiian Chinese and English, and his family came originally from the northern part of the island of Hawaii, from an area called North Kohala. Cool. At Kosohilo. Awesome. Yeah, so been around. Um, I grew up in a family that, that was um, culturally primarily Hawaiian, um, and one of the things that we did, like a lot of Hawaiian families, is we told... Um, ghost stories. We called them chicken skin stories. Um, and I grew up with just a lot of kind of the legends um, and the beliefs um, of my kupuna, of my elders, my grandpa's generation. I was lucky enough to know them. Um, as well as some of the Portuguese and Chinese beliefs. Um, and I love the questions that you sent me, Charlotte, because what you pointed out, you asked about one specific um, supernatural phenomenon that is actually Japanese. 
that's the Kodama. Okay. And what you find in Hawaii is um, most people are blended families, so most of us are multi-ethnic and multicultural. So if you are Filipino, Hawaiian, Chinese, you're going to grow up with Hawaiian stories and Filipino stories and Chinese stories. With my family, you know, I grew up with Portuguese ones, and I also grew up with some Chinese beliefs, as well as Hawaiian. So it's all kind of mixed together. And when you talk about ghost stories and legends and beliefs, the supernatural in Hawaii, what you're going to get is um, what we would call a mixed plate. Yeah, so you're going to get a little bit of Hawaiian, a little bit of something Asian, more than likely. Um, probably some Portuguese or Puerto Rican beliefs, um, and then just a whole bunch of urban legends that have grown up. So that's kind of, I guess, laying the laying the foundation. So um, probably the best way is for you to ask me questions, and we'll just talk story. Sure, sure, sure. So I know a lot of people would like to hear about the night marchers. Okay. From surfing the net and from also having friends, um, you and I have been involved in paranormal investigations for years. Um, everyone I talk to that has been to Hawaii or has an interest in Hawaii always talks about the night marchers. And it's really funny because, especially among Hawaiians, it is a subject that, uh, and the older the Hawaiian, the less likely they are going to talk about it with outsiders. So I will talk about it tonight, <laughs> um, but I'm going to kind of set the stage for you. Um, there are some things in Native Hawaiian beliefs that um, we don't freely talk about, and there will be some things about the night marches, like specific places and things that I won't mention. Mm -hmm. um, and, we, and that usually means either it's kapu, so it's sacred, or to talk about it is to invite those spirits to visit you, which were the night marchers you, you don't want to do. Or it's to keep, and I think this is what it is with night marchers and talking about them to non-Hawaiians. We don't want to endanger people. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of danger around the night marchers. So the Hawaiian name for them is Huaka'i Akapo. Huaka'i means to march. Akapo means of the night. Po is our afterlife. Po also means dark. Po also means night. So these are spirits that march from both our afterlife and also march during the night. And there are two kinds of night marchers, and they don't vary from island to island. One are the spirits of either... Um, Native Hawaiians who live, maka'inana, so um, commoners, or what's more likely is these are processions to accompany um, the spirits of one or more um, aliki or chiefs. So that's one kind. The other kind are the night marchers um, of the deities or of the gods. And I'll talk to you a little bit about each. Um, I'll tell you first about some of the common things. So whether they're the night marchers of our pua, of our, our deities, or they're night marchers of uhane, of spirits, 
they always follow certain rules. They always come from the mountains and travel to the ocean, never reversed. They always march in a single file. Oh, my dog, I'm that, scratching. That is not them marching. <laughs> so, so they always march from the mountains to, um, to the ocean, oftentimes going in the ocean. They are. They will always announce themselves because the idea is to keep the living away from seeing them or interfering with their march. So usually, with both types of night marchers, the first sign is you will um, feel wind. Sometimes it's gusty wind, and you actually feel the wind, and you see the manifestation of the wind. Other times, you'll. See See the branches of the trees moving, and the air is completely still. So nature around you acts as if there's a windstorm going on, but you actually don't feel a breeze. The air will become very humid and very sort of muggy. Um, if you are anywhere where there is dust or sand, you will start seeing clouds of that kind of appearing. Um, there usually is the sound of what we call um, Pahuheyo. So Pahu means drums in Hawaiian. And these are the temple drums. So these were the really large drums. And when they were played um, in the heiau in the temples, you could hear them for several miles away. They were, they were the enormous bottoms of large um, coconut trees that were hollowed out and covered with a shark skin. So um, they, you'll hear the drums. Sometimes you'll hear the sound of the nose flute played. Then you'll hear chanting. Um, and after the chanting, you will hear, um, usually with the procession of the uhani of the spirits, you will hear somebody yelling out, um, either Hemu or um, Kapumoi. So Hemu means the Mu who were the, um, they were kind of like the sergeant in arms to the, uh, our chiefs to the Ali'i. So they were either yelling out, hey, a warrior is coming, or um, Kapumoi is the profound Kapu. So when High chiefs passed, you couldn't look at them. So you would have to lie down in the dirt with your face in the dirt. So they're telling people, if you can't get out of the way, lie down in the dirt and don't look at us. Usually with the processions of the gods, you just hear the chanting. There is no warning called to you. You'll always see um, torches being carried. Oftentimes, seeing the processions come down from the mountains, all you see are a, a long single file of bouncing lights. Hmm. If, if it's a procession of the gods, the torches will be bright, bright, um, either bright, bright, almost whitish yellow. On rare occasions, the bright, bright blue. Um, if they are human spirits, they'll be kind of a dull orange or red, kind of like a normal torch. Sometimes you'll actually see people marching. 
And sometimes all you will see is the glow of torches, so like fireballs mm-hmm. marching in a single file. Sometimes you'll just see the glow of the torches and a long trail of mist. But those are the three ways they manifest. Um, but you, there's usually a visual, or there's almost always a visual. Um, as they get close, you'll hear feet, you know, hundreds of footsteps. You may hear people talking back and forth in the line. Um, if they catch you, whether either kind of procession, and you are in their way, they will kill you, and they will take your spirit with them. So that's the reason why we don't seek out the night marchers. Mm-hmm. I always tell people, tell me they're going to go to Hawaii ghost hunting. And they'll say, you know, where can we see night marches? And I'm going to say, nowhere, because I'm not going to tell you a place that you could potentially lose your life at. Right. And that is one of the reasons why Native Hawaiians, we don't like talking about this to non people who did not grow up in Hawaii. Um, we know in Hawaii, no matter what your ethnicity, we know about the night marchers. We know what we're supposed to do and what we're not supposed to do. If they catch you out and can't hide behind a rock and they're coming your only chance for survival is to strip all of your clothes off so be naked lie in the dirt and urinate over yourself it is a sign of absolute um, submission to them the idea especially with covering yourself in dirt and with urine is you will so disgust either the gods or the chiefs, that they won't even want to kill you. They will just want to walk away from you as quickly as possible. So you want to make yourself um, unfit. The Hawaiian word is pilau. You want to make yourself filthy. So they leave you alone. And also showing them that um, you are bringing yourself as low as you possibly can. If you're Native Hawaiian and you have either one of your family's spirits in the possession of the gods, so one of your omakua, or if you have a relative marching in the procession of the spirits, they will throw you out of the way. They will save you. And usually it's done very, very roughly. The accounts I've read and the couple of people who I know, who one who has this happened to them, the others whose um, grandparents told them about this happening in their family. They will feel like somebody kicks them really mm-hmm. hard, like a football kick, and they'll go flying off the pathway. Or they pick them up, usually by the neck, and throw them away. And they'll go several feet in the air. When they do that, they will whisper the name of the ancestor that is saving you. Um, What most Hawaiians will do if they remember that name is they will go and consult their genealogy, looking for where that ancestor is in their family line. But that is the only two ways to be saved. So the night marchers, it's kind of like they give you a lot of warnings. So they give you fair warning. If you are still stupid enough (laughs) to get caught, there is no, they have no qualms about killing you. Wow. Um, the reason they march, there's a lot of theories. Um, 
for the spirits, for the uhane, oftentimes it's either marching during um, a time when there would be a religious ceremony in a temple, in a heyao, and that chief is marching to the heyao that he or she would have presided over um, the ceremony, the protocols there. Sometimes they march to honor a deity. Sometimes they will march if the chief died without a proper burial, or if a, someone with a leaky blood is dying, they will come to accompany the soul to pull. So they'll come and get that soul, or they will march to give proper respect, a proper burial to um, to the memory of that of that chief. They also march um, to have fun. So a lot of times you'll see the procession with spirits stop along the way or end at the beach, and you'll hear the sounds of laughter. You'll hear um, music being being played. Um, it's usually an ancient chanting, so the gourd drum is played often. Um, the gourd rattles, the uli uli. You'll hear as if people are dancing. So it's that chief basically having um, a luau enjoying themselves. The gods march for their own reasons. Sometimes it's a night set aside to honor that deity. Sometimes they're going to a temple that was dedicated to them. And sometimes they're just marching because it's not our business to know why they're marching. Very um, interesting. The, of the ancestors and the deities look the same. If they, if they take our physical form, they're both going to look like people. So, a deity of the uh, deities marching, you know, Pele is going to look like a woman. Who is going to look like a man? Bono is going to look like a man. Um, Poleahu is going to look like a woman. Our Almapua, we see them, our family protective spirits, we see them as um, things in nature, so sharks and owls and turtles and types of plants. When they're marching in the night marcher procession, you're not going to see a shark marching. You're not going to see a turtle marching. You're going to see a person. Um, so that's the night marchers. Um, their paths are set. So every island has night marcher paths. And they always travel. That particular procession of night marchers will always take the same path. Hmm. Interesting. So, it, and it doesn't matter that it's no that it's now a highway. It's now a apartment building. They will march right to it. They will march right to houses, and people will say they will hear you know the dishes rattling. They'll hear people talking. Um, part of the room will get very very hot. Um, Hawaiians, um, if you look at old survey maps, my grandpa was um, a building inspector. And one of the reasons they, the city and county of Honolulu hired him was because he could speak and read and write Hawaiian. So he would look at the old maps from um, when we were still a kingdom and in the beginning of when we were a territory. And those site maps will mark night marcher trails. And often they will write on them in Hawaiian. Um, this is um, so-and-so chief marches this way. Or they always march from this part of 
do want to rally on Oahu. They always march from the side that um, Lani Huli is on. And they'll always march down New Uwano Avenue. And they always go to Waikiki or to Honolulu Harbor. So when people built things, they could look at those site maps and make sure that their buildings were not in a night marcher trail. Um, if you happen to have a house that they march through, the way to get them to march around you is to plant. Um, we have a plant called tea leaves. You've probably seen them. They're kind of tall and they uh, have big, broad green leaves. Um, they're not the kind of tea that you drink. It's T-T-I. Um, that's the Tahitian word that everybody uses in Hawaiian. We call them um, la'i or, or ki. And if you plant those plants, the green variety of it, they are protective against spirits. So they will cause the night marchers to see those plants around the house and march around it. And most old Hawaiian homes have chilies planted around just to keep bad spirits out of them. Um, I have uh, two pots of tea leaves on my front porch by my front door. Every house my family lived in, and also when we lived in an apartment, we always had a pot of tea leaves, either by the front door or on the, the lanai when we lived in an apartment. But you always keep that around you. Um, it keeps un, unquiet spirits away. Well, very interesting. You know, I've heard stories. I've heard stories of um, tourists that have stayed in in in, uh, in like places in the forest. And uh, one in particular, the people were staying like like in a place in the trees, and they could hear the drums and see the uh, the uh, lights from the torches. And then when they would walk towards it, it would go away from them. could have been night marchers and it was just they were far enough away that they were never able to catch up with the procession mm -hmm. they could have been a type of spirit that we call wailua so hawaiians have very different varieties of ghosts just like you know paranormal researchers will talk to you about you know there are ghosts that are place memory there are ghosts that warn people there are ghosts that say goodbye to people so one of our categories are Wailua. They are spirits that for whatever reason are trapped on this plane. And they kind of like to have a good time. And one of the things they like to do is to lead the living astray. Okay. So they will talk. They may even call out their name. They'll always be just a step ahead of you. You'll go to look for them and you won't see them. And then you'll hear them laughing. And they'll be a hundred feet away. You sneak up and you get to the place, and they're a hundred feet away. Um, Wailua, sometimes they're mischievous and teasing. Sometimes they can harm you. Um, there is another type of spirit that we have, um, and I'm blanking on the Hawaiian word right now. Um, they are not so nice. Um, they are stuck here and they don't want to be here. Mm -hmm. 
And usually they are stuck here because no family spirit or Almakua came for them when um, they wanted to, or they were ready to cross over. They mean to be malicious. They want to hurt the living. So one of the famous types of ghosts you may have heard about this type of, of, of spirit, um, they're called calling ghosts. And they will call your name. And usually it's not someone you know. Um, usually it is, um, and sometimes it'll appear to you too. So um, one of the famous stories, there were a lot of calling ghosts during World War II because there were a lot of soldiers. Mm -hmm. um, they would see a real, you know, they'd be hiking or they'd be, you know, on our island there's a famous lookout to see a blowhole and people would stand there um, looking at it. And during World War II, there was no fencing over it. And they would hear someone call their name and they would see a seductive woman and say, you know, come here, you know, come here, John. You know, I've been, I've been looking at you. I've been wanting to meet you, come this way. And they'll lead them over a cliff and they'll leave them into a sinkhole or down an open lava tube or off a cliff. They'll lead them into the part of a pool of water at the base of a um, of a waterfall that's very deep, so they can drown. Um, so, to Hawaiians, we never answer a spirit who calls us unless we know the voice. You know, unless I know, okay, that's my grandma's voice. That's my grandpa's voice. And they're not just calling your name, but they're asking you to do something. If they're just calling your name or we don't know who they are, we never answer. To answer is to give that spirit a um, a hold on you. Um, and I remember the name is Kueva. So the Wailua can't hurt you, but usually they just want to tease you. The Kueva, they're, they're out to harm you. Mm -hmm. And they're the kind that you feel, when they're around, you feel a sense of dread. You get what we call chicken skin, that goosebumpy feeling all over your body. Um, they often come, you know they're around because the air around you suddenly gets really, really cold. Sometimes cold enough that you can see your breath. You know, I was also thinking when you said that about the unfriendly ghosts of the choking ghosts, too. Oh, yes. Okay. So we can talk about those. Um, they're, they're very interesting. And sometimes they are spirits um, that are Japanese, because that is a, a type of ghost in Japanese culture. Sometimes they're Hawaiian. Sometimes they appear as different nationalities. They're a little bit akin to stories about the old hag on the chest. So a lot of people will say that they're they're they can't move in the bed, they can't get up. Um, it always happens when you're sleeping. So some of it could be written off as um, sleep paralysis, but usually you see the person, and usually it takes a while. You'll feel them crawling up your body, um, and what they do is they choke you. They for some unknown reason, um, 
I've heard a couple of explanations. Um, they haunt particularly fire stations in mm-hmm. Hawaii. So there are a lot of fire stations that you talk to the people, um, the firemen there, and they'll say, oh yeah, you know, we used to have a choking ghost here for five or 10 years, or everyone who sleeps in that bunk experiences this, or everyone who sleeps in that room experiences this, or um, it doesn't bother anyone unless the fireman is Caucasian, unless the fireman is Haole, or unless the fireman is part Hawaiian. Um, There's a fire station kind of near a cemetery where a lot of my family are buried in an area called Kaka'ako. That place has still to this day have um, manifestations of choking ghosts. One of the reasons is the fire station is was built on a kind of mass burial site of um, victims of one of the the disease plagues that happened. So I believe they were either flu victims or they were from the measles epidemic. Um, so not all of those bodies were the bones were removed when they built the firehouse, and it was built over that. So a lot of people feel that they are the angry spirits of those people who died in the epidemic. Um, we consider those ghosts to be angry ghosts. Um, obviously, if they're going to choke you, they mean you harm. Mm-hmm. The Japanese believe the same. Um, they are the spirit of a ventral person. So in Japanese belief, they're someone who drowned or someone who was murdered or someone who um, met with a terrible accident, or someone who um, was lost at sea, or you know they may have fallen off a cliff and their body was never given proper burial. They manifest in several ways. One of them is as a choking ghost. Because huh. they just hate the living, you know? Mm-hmm. People, it, people didn't do me right, so I'm going to get revenge by hurting any living person I can get my hands on. Um, the Japanese will usually call a Buddhist or a Shinto priest in, or they're sort of like lay, almost like lay shaman that are associated with um, the Shinto beliefs. Um, they call them odaisans, and so they'll call in, you know, an odaisan to come and exercise the house. Hawaiians will usually call in a Hawaiian minister or they'll call in a kaguna um, or they'll call in an elder in the family who knows how to do a house blessing and they'll bless the house. Usually you'll have the person sleep with tea leaves um, and sometimes tea leaves and salt under their mattress to keep the choking ghost away. Fascinating. But but these are both... um, beliefs that are very active in Hawaii and you can find people you know in 2021 who can say oh I know someone who was choked by a choking ghost or I saw night marchers um I saw night marchers twice when I was a kid so um as did my grandfather so you know I'm one of those people who can say yeah I believe in them um because I heard in one instance I heard the chanting and I saw the trees moving with no wind and in another instance um, I was with friends and we saw the single file trail of lights coming down um, the mountain and it was a steep 
cliff. It was in the Waianae mountain range. And if you know that mountain range on Oahu, you can't walk down those ridges. They're yeah. high, steep, volcanic ridges. There's no way people can walk directly down them. No, that place is beautiful, though. But, I mean, yeah, it, it, it is treacherous. It is treacherous, yes, yes. So, you know, and I have known people who um, have experienced choking ghosts. Interesting, very interesting. Now, there's one that everybody talks about, and that's Madame Pele. I think, I yeah. believe the stories I've heard is uh, she'll even hitch rides sometimes with, with people. Yes, so Pele is not a ghost. Okay. She's not a spirit. We okay. believe she is a deity. Okay. Um, she is considered both Almakua and Akua. So Akua is just our word for a deity. Um, Almakua are family protective spirits. And there are families from the island of Hawaii, particularly from the districts of Puna and Kau, that claim Pele as... Um, an ancestress and claim her as their family protective spirit. So um, we call them um, Pele people. And so she um, she's an interesting deity, probably out of all of the deities that the ancient Hawaiians believed in. Her and Laka, the one of the um, protective deities of the Hula, Mm -hmm. are the two that are most actively revered um, by Hoyans today. Um, Pele lives in the crater, the central crater of Halemaumaua, Kilauea, uh, on, um, on Kilauea Volcano. Um, but every volcanic crater is technically her home. Okay. And what we believe is she and her family came from Tahiti. So the, the chant cycle about Pele is actually the only complete chant cycle that we have left without any gaps in it. Um, it's kind of like the Norse sagas. And it, the Pele cycle tells about her bringing her and her favorite sister, Hiyaka, from Tahiti to the islands, led by her brother, Kamohoali, who is the shark deity. And he led her, he guided their canoe um, to flee another one of her sisters, who she had gotten into an argument with. And she was um, a ocean goddess. And so she kept trying to put out Peli's fire. And finally, Peli decided, okay, I'm just gonna leave Tahiti. And so she left Tahiti and she came first to Kauai and she went to each island. And the story is that every island, the water rose and put out her fire. So she took her digging stick and her family. And finally, she was able at Halemaumau Crater um, to dig deep enough and high enough that the waters could not reach her. Hmm. She went to Mauna Kea, um, but one of her sisters, Poleahu, the snow goddess, covered the top with her snow, with her mantle. So Pele went to Halemaumau, to Kilauea, and there she still dwells. So when the volcano erupts, we believe that Pele is either about to travel, she likes to visit all of her old homes, so she appears on every island, 
Whew. Or she's doing her main purpose, which is to create new land. So we see Pele when we see houses destroyed by lava and things. Um, I can always tell the Hawaiians from the non-Hawaiians. The non-Hawaiians are angry or they're throwing all these offerings that are not traditional to her because they want to save their homes. Hawaiians don't do that. Hawaiians are, you know, this is her land. We're guests there. If she wants to take my house back, it's her right to do that. And when that last eruption a few years ago when houses were being burned um, at Leilani Estates, the Hawaiians that live there, um, and they even did a, a, a news story about one woman, um, the lava was like feet from her house. And finally she said, okay, I'm ready to go. She cleaned the whole house. She unlocked the front door. She sent Hawaiian food out on the table. And she set a bottle of gin, which is one of the modern offerings to Pele. And before she left, she addressed the lava flow in Hawaii. And she said, Pele, my house is open to you. It's your home. Here's, there's food for you. There's something to drink for you. If you want to be kind to me, spare my house. But know that if you want to visit it and you want to go inside, um, it's ready for you. It's a clean house. I made it ready for you. You're my guest. And that's how Hawaiians view Pele. We don't see the lava as something destructive because mm -hmm. it's new It's new land. It adds, um, if you live on an island, the only way your land is going to get bigger is if you have a volcano and it adds land. So we know that um, Pele is the creator of land. One of her names in Hawaiian is Kalaihonuamea, the woman who is the creator of the earth, the creator of the land. And she does travel, so the stories you hear about her, they're usually around the time of an eruption, mm -hmm. or sometimes she just wants to, to travel. She appears either as a beautiful woman, usually young, um, either dressed in red or white, um, long black hair, usually part Hawaiian or native or full Hawaiian, or as an elderly, elderly woman, kind of disheveled. <laughs> she will ask you for something. So she's testing you um, to Hawaiians, probably one of the greatest um, kind of values we have is hospitality is ho'okipa. So she wants to see if you're going to be hospitable to her. So she'll be hitchhiking. The car that passes her by may break, break down. They may have a flat tire. The person who pulls over to the side of the road and gives her a ride, nothing happens to them. Um, she'll often ask if someone picks her up in the car, she'll ask for a cigarette. And she is famous for um, being given it. She always asks for it in Hawaiian. She may talk pidgin english to you but she uses the hawaiian word paka paka for us means tobacco and so you know she'll say you know hey boy you got paka for me huh. and they'll give a cigarette in the old days they used to give her um my grandpa tells stories of people in his family his aunties and uncles who met her and they would give her sure auntie and 
they give her a rolling paper and hold her up and she would light a cigarette. They all say that um, she'll either make her hand get hot, she'll touch her finger and it starts to glow. And the, and the cigarette just starts to smoke. And then she'll smoke. Usually shortly after that, she disappears. She just simply fades away. Um, if you're at your house, and this is usually when an eruption is happening or about to, she will come either as a young woman, but usually as an old woman, and she'll ask for a cup of water. If you shoo her away, um, and the lava is going your direction, your house will probably be taken or your land will be covered. <laughs> the people that give her water, she will often drink the water or they'll tell her, um, wait here, you know, why don't you wait on the porch? It's cool there. They'll go inside to get the water. When they come out, she's gone. Um, she comes with a little white dog often when she's an elderly woman. Um, and I remember growing up when there were in the sixties, when there were, um, volcanic eruptions and both the, the, um, Hawaii newspapers, the advertiser and the star bulletin during eruptions, they would print Pele sightings. They would print people saying, Oh, I saw her little dog. Um, my grandpa told us when he was a young boy, the volcano was erupting at the big Island. They were, um, driving along the old highway over new one and they saw a little white dog by the side of the road and he remembers um i think he was driving with one of his uncles um and he remembers them pointing and saying that's pele's dog whenever the volcano erupted my grandpa would always put on a tea leaf outside their apartment on a little wooden stool he'd always put a glass of gin and usually a glass of water for her. And once I asked him, you know, Grandpa, how come you're doing that? You know, she's on the big island. He said, no, she can appear anywhere she wants. And I want her to know, because our family used to live on that island, I want her to know that we haven't forgotten her. And if she wants to come and visit, I've laid out something for her. So, you know, my mom still does this. You know, my mom will be 94 in January. Right. That's really cool, though. Are the legends about people taking stones from the uh, volcano trail or taking or taking souvenirs? <laughs> so there's a whole bunch of stories about that. <laughs> um, a great place, if people can still find his books, is the late, great Glenn Grant, mm -hmm. who did a lot of stories. And are also um, an anthropologist who's also deceased now named Catherine Luamala. Uh, they did a lot of Pele research. <laughs> so one story is that that was made up either by a tour guide or by people who worked at the park because they were tired of people taking rocks from okay. the National Park. Um, but there's a deeper underlying in that. So we believe that all of our deities can manifest themselves in nature. And we call that their kino lao. So they are not the rocks, they're not the shark, but they can manifest using that, um, that appearance. So people who honor Pele, especially people of color on Makua, 
the lava rock is her Kino Lao. It's kind of her body because she created that. So, you know, Pele is, is an earth deity. Mm-hmm. So when you take that, um, you know, you're taking it from the volcano. Number one, you're stealing from her. Most people who take souvenirs of lava rocks aren't asking permission to do it. They're not leaving her offerings when they do it. So you're insulting her. So she is going to do what any goddess would do if someone steals from them. She's going to cause misfortune until you bring it back. And that is anywhere, by the way. That's not just rocks associated with Pele. People will go to our temples and steal small rocks as a souvenir and get very, very sick or have terrible bad luck. And it won't end until they go back to the place they took that stone from. Not just a temple, but that temple and the part of that temple that you took that rock from and put it there. Often if they consult a Hawaiian uh, kahuna or Hawaiian minister, they will tell them specific offerings to take and leave. Okay, cool. Wow, this is great. Um, what about the legend of, uh, this is the road to Hana, where uh, if you eat ham, you're going to have problems driving? Oh, okay, no. So that, two different... Um, Maybe I'm wrong. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so you're mixing this uh, a okay. little bit of the story up. So okay. it's not ham, it's pork. Okay, pork, so I'm sorry. modern times, of course, people have had sandwiches. Right. And it is not the road to Hana. It is the old Pale Highway, which is now um, a hiking trail. There's a new Pale Highway that um, I have heard some people say that they break down there. Um, but really, that phenomenon has pretty much kind of died out. Now, people driving through New Wanda Valley have experienced that as well. Um, and the reason is twofold. One, that that um, pass over New Water Valley and then down was originally a, um, a single file trail that the ancient Hawaiians did. It's the only way to get from one side of the island to the other side of the island. So people coming from Honolulu now going to um, Kailua or Kaneohe, you still have to go over the Pali, and Pali just means cliff. So you have to go over this big cliff. So they took the trail, they built a highway. Now we have a super four-lane highway. Um, in the old days, there was a deity that lived there that was the guardian of that area. Mm-hmm. And people would bring food with them, you know, and whenever they would go, as an offering, they would take a little bit of that food and they would leave it. Our main meat source were pigs and chickens. So when people were traveling, especially taking food back from a luau or from a family gathering, um, it was usually pork. And they would leave a small offering. And if they didn't, misfortune would happen before there were automobiles and before you know Captain Cook came. <laughs> they would say that, there would be rains and the trail would get slippery and people would fall off. Or suddenly there's a lot of um, misty rain and fog there. The trail becomes obscured. They leave an offering and it clears up. When there were carriages, horse-drawn carriages, the horses would stop until they gave some food. Then when there were cars, and that happened to my grandfather 
and my grandmother. It also happened to my grandfather's brother and his wife. Hmm. Um, they were coming from, um, in both instances, they were coming from family parties on the other side of the island, back to Honolulu. Um, this was in like the 19, um, happened to my grandfather in the late 1920s and to my uncle and aunt in the early 1930s. Both times their cars stalled. Couldn't start it, couldn't start it, couldn't start it. They opened the care package, um, took out, in this case, um, with my grandfather, they, they were taking that Lao Lao, which is, um, if you've been to, um, oh, what's the, what's the Hawaiian drive-in that everybody goes to here? Um, I'm blanking on the name now. Um, L&L. If you go to L&L, you can get a Lao Lao. It's tara leaves that are steamed with usually pork or chicken in it. Mm. So they took one of them out and they threw it out the car window and the car started. Same thing with my uncle. They were coming back from my auntie's family um, who lived on that side of the island. And she and my uncle were both part Hawaiian. And she had Kalua Pig. They had a luau. She had a container of it. And the car stopped. And my auntie rolled down the window. She knew what to do. She told my uncle, but no, no sense you even getting out of the car. Because um, we know why the car has stalled. She took some of the Kalua Pig. She threw it out the window. She said, here, eat, leave us alone in Hawaiian, which is the traditional thing you say. Cars started up and on they went. And I probably growing up among my friends, I would say probably 50% of them had a family story about somebody that happened to um, firsthand. So it was their dad or their uncle or their grandma, you know, or their next door neighbor. So it wasn't, you know, a friend of a friend kind of story. I knew a Hawaiian woman who's probably about 15 years older than me. It happened to her when she was a kid. So that's the story about that. Nowadays, it's any pork product. Mm -hmm. So you can be bringing um, char siu bao, what we call manapua back home. It's stuffed with pork. You could be bringing um, a pork chop. You know, you could bring a ham sandwich and the vehicle will stall. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, it, my understanding is it happened all the time on the old Pulley Road. Now that they built the new highway, it's far enough away from the cliffs that uh, I've had some people tell me the, the spirit, the kupua that lives there um, is no longer bothered. He can't smell the food. So he doesn't stop the cars. Okay. Makes sense. Yeah, but that's the story. And I've never heard of that happening on any other island. So I'm, I'm not a Maui person. Right, it, right, it right. happened there. And, but the famous story in Hawaii is about taking pork over the pulley. That's fascinating. You know, um, for people that have never been to Hawaii don't understand. It, to me, when... 
I got off the plane, it was like stepping into another country because yep. you know it's been mostly. I mean, there's America, there's U.S. stuff there, but it, the traditions and everything have been mostly kept by by everybody. And that's what I find so fascinating about it. What was it like growing up in such a tra traditional society like that? You know, it was, um, I guess when you grow up in it, you don't think that it's unusual. Because everybody in Hawaii, I mean, it's probably one of the few places, I have friends from Puerto Rico who talk similarly, and maybe friends from the deep south, like Louisiana, where, you know, everybody talks about the supernatural. It's mm -hmm. just normal. You're abnormal if your family has no ghost stories. So, you know, for us, it was just every day. I saw my first spirit when I was um, almost five years old. It was my great-grandmother, my Hawaiian great-grandmother. Um, it was at the, actually at the cemetery very near that fire station I talked about. And visiting the graves is a very popular thing in Hawaii. All the families do it. So my grandparents were at the bottom of the hill the cemetery's on. They were filling a can of water up to take up to the, the grave and put flowers in. And then they had made some Tumeria lays. Um, I saw a woman that I thought was my grandfather's youngest sister, Leilani. We called her Auntie Babe because she was the youngest of you know his siblings. Mm -hmm. And she was, I thought she was playing like hide and seek behind a tombstone. So I would go running up the hill and I stop and my grandmother and grandfather are behind me and my grandma, we called her Nana. My Nana says, oh, how did you know where Tutu's grave was? I looked at her and I said, what do you mean? And she said, well, the person we brought flowers for, this is her. She's your grandpa's mother. She's your mom's grandma. And I said, I didn't know that was her. She goes, well, you stopped in front of her grave. And I said, I, I don't know what happened. I saw Auntie Babe, um, and she was dressed funny. <laughs> and when I got up here, she disappeared. I don't know where she is. My grandma got real quiet, and she kind of stooped down. She said, tell me what she looked like. So I described her. I said, she didn't really have a, a mu'u on, but it looked like one, but it was all kind of white. Um, I said her hair was up. I never saw Auntie Babe wear her hair like that. But her hair was up. She had like a big comb in it. And my grandma said, okay. So she said very matter-of-factly. So that's that's your tutu. That's your, your mom's grandma. That's her grave here. She probably was just greeting you because I've never brought you here before. And you have asthma just like she did. Wow. <laughs> but just very matter of fact, um, we were visiting some other graves in Kaneohe with my mom, and we were just walking around seeing if we could find you know other family friends. It was in the mausoleum part, and she we had just gone to put flowers at my Portuguese great-grandmother's grave. And we're walking, and we hear come out of... Um, a crypt, this moan, this oh. and my mom stops and she looks up um, and we had some more flowers to take to different places. My mom takes a few of them. She takes the vase out. She goes, go fill this up with water. 
And I, I bring it back. She puts flowers in there. Um, and I said, why did you do that? We don't know that person. And she said, didn't you hear? She's lonely. Probably nobody visits her. Not, oh, my God, we just heard crying mm-hmm. coming out of a, a crypt. My mother is just like, oh, you know, the poor lady. She's probably lonely. Look, there's no flowers there. You know, the, 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 the um, vase is all kind of dirty and corroded. She probably doesn't have family who visit her anymore. So my mom put flowers there. And she talked to her for a little bit. She said, I don't know who you are. My son and I heard you cry. We brought you these flowers. So just so you know that, that you know, we're thinking about you. She said a little prayer and we left. Huh. And that's kind of how, at least when I was growing up, mm-hmm. that's how people, that was our relationship with the supernatural. It was that intimate. I mean, we had places that we knew we weren't supposed to go because mm-hmm. we were haunted. Um, I grew up with stories like a house um, of one of my family on the island of Kauai that um, had Menahune living with it, the, kind of the little people. Um, and I grew up with stories about how no one could live in that house and they just let it fall apart because they would hear people walking around at night and chains rattling and people who would try and live there, they'd have the covers ripped off of them. You know, they could hear little voices and it. Supposedly it was because there was a tree there and my grandfather's uncle cut the tree down where the Menuhuni lived and built a house over it against everyone telling him, don't do that. <laughs> so they haunted it <laughs> until I made sure nobody lived in it until the house fell apart. And to this day, my it's still in my family and it's a big parcel of land and there are several houses on it that relatives live. One old house and there is a and b now but that area of the property is not developed they planted trees there interesting i want to thank you for coming on i really appreciate this we haven't it's, talked it's in a long time, time already yeah it's been an hour already boy we just blew through i don't know if i can follow this tomorrow man you know <laughs> this is talk story this is this is what alliance do when we tell ghost stories we just sit down and we talk like this so it was it was loads of fun talking story with you charlotte and i will tell your listeners um quickly charlotte and i used to um ghost hunt together she is a phenomenal paranormal researcher she is like one of my go-to people if i have questions about photos um a lot of tech sides i just um I just have a lot of respect for you and for what you do and for your integrity. So I just wanted people who listen to know that about you, Charlotte. Well, thank you so much. And I have a lot of respect for your abilities too. Jason is also a sensitive and he's really good at what he does. He really is. And I, 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 you know, if he says it's there, I I believe him. Thank you. Okay. Well, I'm going to look, is this like repeated? Can I? Yeah, you'll be able to see it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm gonna. It'll stay on Facebook Live. Well, you know what I mean on, on the Facebook feed and all that. So yeah, yeah, you'll be able to see it. Perfect. I will tell friends. About all right, buddy. It thank you. Thank you very much. All right, Chase. All right, bye. Bye. Boy, I don't know if I can follow that, but we're gonna give it a shot tomorrow. Along that line, I didn't see the compliment coming, so I'm really excited about that. That was nice. Um, he's right. I've well, I've been doing this for almost 15 years. 
more than that as an investigator. And so tomorrow, something very rare, you know, usually we only share evidence on our website or, you know, if, if we go out and do a commercial thing around Halloween time. But uh, I put together a presentation a couple weeks back uh, about ghosts in Northern California, and I decided that since tomorrow is, you know, the lead up to Halloween, that I would take part of that presentation and share it with you guys. So I am going to take you on a trip across, you know, around Northern California to see evidence and hear evidence of stuff that the California Haunts team has gotten. Now that I have figured out, I know I tried to do this when the show was first on, you know, I was trying to do a show featuring that stuff, but I wasn't quite computer savvy enough to do it. But now that I know how to do it, I can share this stuff with you. So tomorrow, come in with an open mind, and uh, I, I have some stuff to show you and share with you. Um, thank you for joining us. Uh, PayPal me at California Haunts if you feel it in your heart to donate a, a little bit of cash my way as uh, I fund this out of my own pocket So, because um, my team is nonprofit, so that would be very helpful. Um, if you liked it, share it with five people. If you didn't like it, share it with five of your people that you don't like. That happens, right? Um, we just want to keep the, the show out there so people can watch it and all that good stuff. Uh, YouTube. We're looking for YouTube subscribers. We have 87 right now, and we're trying to build up so we're well over 100 because once we hit over that 100 mark, we're going to be able to get a dedicated URL to our YouTube site. If you try to Google us or anything like that, you're not going to find us on YouTube. The best way to find us is at www.CaliforniaHauntsRadio.com. From there, you can click on a video, and that will take you to the YouTube site. You can subscribe. All of our archive videos are on the website. You can go back for a year and, and, and see what we've done. But uh, that's the way to do it. Anyway, I want to thank you guys for coming. Tomorrow I will be here to do... Uh, just kind of try to scare you a little bit too with uh, some local haunts and these are places that you can you can either ghost hunt in or you can just go in for a tour or you can just have pizza in or do whatever you know just visit so i will see you tomorrow uh same time 6 30 p.m and thank you so much for coming bye bye <laughs>